0: Well, good morning. Thank you. Now, this is us getting back to our series looking at the book of Hebrews after our birthday and Thanksgiving service last week, which was just fantastic, by the way. Um, I really enjoyed it. And it struck me that we were doing just what Hebrews said we should encouraging one another to persevere, telling one another how good God is. Look what He's done in my life. Look what He's doing in my life. He's so worth it. He's worth hanging in for, which is one of the main ideas we've already seen in our series of talks. I'm going to share a little confession with you, first of all. I've always thought of Hebrews as one of the hardest and weirdest books of the Bible, certainly of the New Testament anyway. I've almost had a love-hate relationship with it. I love reading it, and it has one of my first favourite verses in it, um, which is chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which you'll get to later. But I've always had this nagging feeling that there was a lot more to it that I just wasn't getting. I suspected that not being from a first century Jewish background was hampering my understanding somewhat. (laughs) Then enter Dr. Moffat with his great summary and introduction to Hebrews. He spoke so passionately and with real insight. And if you haven't heard his talk, I would thoroughly recommend the podcast to you. And if you've listened to it already, listen to it again. It's just that good. For me, finally, this book is beginning to make a bit of sense. I'm beginning to see it as a really well-crafted sermon with the writer or speaker weaving his or her points throughout the whole piece highlighting one thing or another with illustrations and scriptural explanations which actually makes it a bit difficult in a series like this because we've kind of artificially chopped up into bits my bit will build on and refer back to what's gone before and point forward to what's to come but hopefully I won't steal anyone else's thunder Given my previous strained relationship with this book, the passage that I'm speaking on today is even more surprising. Because in the weirdness that is Hebrews, to me the weirdest passage has to be chapter 7. Melchizedek who now? <laughs> what? I had a slight out-of-body experience at our team meeting when we were divvying up the talks. I kind of heard myself in slow motion go, I'll speak on Melchizedek and then since then I've gone like ah, what what have I done well it definitely focused my mind to go and find out about this mysterious character and so we find ourselves here today so let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 7. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, Without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth, through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. So I'm going to look at this passage in two sections. Verses 1 to 10, which deals with uh, Melchizedek in a comparison of his priesthood with the Levitical priesthood. The second section covers verses 11 to 28, where we see again Jesus as high priest and why it matters that his priesthood was of the order of Melchizedek. So we've already had a couple of mentions of our mysterious character in chapters 5 and 6 where the writer of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 110. And in this first section of chapter 7, we get the scriptural explanation of these references. Melchizedek is only mentioned in two places in the Old Testament. In the Psalm that we've already quoted, Psalm 110, and in Genesis 14, verses 17 to 20, which I'm going to read as well, so we can we we'll to have a look. It's in, as I say, Genesis 14. And at verse 17. After Abram returned from defeating Kedor, hard word, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine he was priest of God most high and he blessed Abram saying blessed be Abram by God most high creator of heaven and earth and praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand then Abram gave him a tenth of everything and that is literally all we know about him Abraham is returning Abram Um, who's just not got his name, full name, Abraham yet. So it's the same guy we're talking about. He's returning from a victory in battle when Melchizedek comes out to meet him, bringing bread and wine. He blesses Abraham and Abraham gives him a tenth of the plunder. Chapter seven of Hebrews begins to tease things out for us. We start to get this explanation and he starts off by translating his name as King of Righteousness. And if my Hebrew is up to scratch, Melech means king and Zedek means righteousness or justice. And I have to say, I've got no idea about Hebrew, but Tom Wright says it. So I'm going with that and hope you will as well. (laughs) Then he's also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. So king of righteousness and king of peace are titles that we recognise and the original hearers would recognise as names given to the Messiah, to Jesus. Things start to get a bit more technical in verse 3. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he, remain, he remains a priest forever. I believe that the author here is using a couple of techniques that are used when interpreting the scriptures, which I'm sure have got fancy names, but I don't know. So if you want to know, find a friendly theology student who will be able to tell you. But basically what he's doing, he's implying things from what is not said. So there's no mention of Melchizedek's ancestry, his birth or death. Therefore, the implication is taken that he's not limited by them. He's a priest not on the strength of his ancestry and remains a priest forever. It's probably not that he didn't have a father or mother. He clearly was born and probably did die. It's just that as it's not mentioned, it's not important. Who his family was is not important. And he didn't pass his priesthood on to anyone who came after him until God himself passes it on to Jesus, as we'll see a bit later. Our author is also interpreting scripture in the light of scripture. That is, he's using Psalm 110 and Genesis 14 in the light of one another. For him, Genesis 14 confirms Psalm 110 verse 4 that a priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek lasts forever. The next B section, verses 4 to 10, explains why Melchizedek's priesthood is greater or superior to the Levitical priesthood, which would be the priesthood still in operation at the time Hebrews was written. To qualify as a priest under the Levitical priesthood, they purely had to be descended from a particular person, that is, Levi. And their priesthood would end when the priest died, and it would be passed on to the next descendant. One of the responsibilities on honours of the Levitical priesthood was that they could collect the tithe from the other tribes of Israel. The other tribes received land and towns as their inheritance in the promised land, but Levi's descendants were required to serve as priests in the tabernacle and the temple. So they received their inheritance through getting a tenth from their brothers. So the argument is that Melchizedek, The Melchizedek priesthood is superior because all priests descended from Levi effectively paid their tithe to Melchizedek by virtue of Levi's ancestor, Abraham. Abraham showed him the respect and deference to Melchizedek as priest of God Most High. And it says, without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Now, this would make the listeners sit up and take notice. Greater than Abraham great patriarch this Melchizedek must be important what he represents is important we have again the old testament giving us a glimpse a foreshadow of what is to come Abraham the father of the promise that God would create a nation to be set aside for himself being blessed by a greater person Melchizedek who represents the way that God's full salvation plan for the whole world will be brought to completion If this all seems a bit technical and cerebral, can I encourage you to to stick with me and stick with Hebrews? One of the reasons why studying Hebrews is so great for us as a church is that it encourages us, even demands us, to engage our brains, to try and understand these explanations. But also it moves our hearts when we do come to understand just what Jesus has done for us, And is doing for us right now. Which moves us on. Into our second section. At verse 11. Here we pick up again. The theme that the law. And the priesthood based on that law. Could not bring perfection. Remember. That perfection in this sense. Doesn't mean without flaws. But has to do with completeness reaching a goal, or arriving at a desired end. There had to be a different sort of priesthood to achieve God's goal of bringing us into relationship with him. And if Jesus is our high priest, which we established back in chapters 4 and 5, he's clearly not descended from Levi. Jesus was descended from Judah. Then this is a new type of priesthood, another type of priesthood that doesn't depend on ancestry, like Melchizedek. And like Melchizedek, Jesus' priesthood will not be ended by death and will not be passed on to anyone else. In this way, Jesus fulfills the declaration from Psalm 110, verse 4, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. What was weak and imperfect in the Levitical priesthood is set aside for what is better, dependable, and everlasting. We've said before as well that the the Hebrews writer doesn't think that the law and the Levitical priesthood was bad. It was good, but could only ever serve as an echo or a shadow of what was to come in Jesus. I've come to think of it, like this, like the old priesthood or law was like a tribute act. (laughs) Sounds about right. It has echoes of the real thing. But when the original Jesus is available and for free, why would you still pay to see the tribute act? Verses uh, 20 to 25 for me are the verses that move us From head knowledge, arguments and explanations to the heart stuff of why it matters. Jesus becomes a priest, not because of his ancestry, but by an oath from God. And at the end of chapter 6, which Toby talked about, we heard that God's oath is utterly unchangeable and can be totally relied on. So Jesus becomes the guarantor of a better covenant. Some translations say he's the guarantee of a better covenant. But I prefer guarantor. It it speaks to me about legal and binding connotations. And also that it comes with some risk attached for that person, for that guarantor. And it was with some risk to Jesus. As we'll see later, he had to offer himself as a sacrifice. But he is resurrected. ascended. He is still alive. So his priesthood will never end. It won't be handed over to anyone else. And in this way, it is complete, brought to the desired end, that we are saved by coming to God through Jesus. God's desired end, his completion, was relationship with us. And that is only achieved through high priest Jesus. Verse 25 says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. This has echoes in another New Testament letter in Romans in chapter 8 and verses 31 to 34. Let me read it to you. more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. This passage goes on a little further down in verse 38 and 39 to say, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I think we should read similar sentiments as that into our understanding of Jesus as our high priest in Hebrews. I believe that the security we have in God's love and in our relationship with him is one of the lovely themes that I spoke about that's woven into Hebrews. Back in chapter 4, verse 16 says... Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And then back in chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. And as we've read today, again, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Verse 26 affirms the security further by saying such a high priest truly meets our needs then verse 27 starts to take us beyond even the priesthood of Melchizedek into the uniqueness of Jesus. A major weakness of the Levitical priesthood was that the priest had to make sacrifices for his own sins before making further sacrifices for the people. And he had to do this again and again. It was never going to be a lasting solution. Jesus doesn't need to make a sacrifice for himself. As we heard in chapter 4, he is without sin. And then he made one sacrifice for all sins, for all time, by offering himself. But I'm going to leave those thoughts for somebody else to expand on later. Verse 28 is our final summary. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness... But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. The call of Hebrews is to persevere, to stand firm. And we've been given rock solid arguments why we should. It says to us, do you see how much better the new way is? Don't go back to the tribute act, the original and best is here. Jesus, as high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, means our hope is secure. He can and will bring to completion God's desired goal, relationship with us.